What's up, everyone? I'm Andrew Steinwald, and this is Zima Red. On this show, we speak with the users, founders, and creatives that are diving into the world of unique digital assets, also called non-fungible tokens. Andrew Steinwald is the managing partner of Sifermion, an investment firm focused on the NFT ecosystem. All opinions expressed by Andrew and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Sifermion. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Sifermion or related entities may maintain positions in the assets discussed in this podcast. My guest today is Jiran. Jiran is an active trader, investor, and explorer of all things Web3. On this episode, we chat how Web3 is currently one giant metagame, how tribalism impacts NFT prices, the blockchain as the ultimate information and investing tool, NFTs as historical artifacts, on-chain analysis, what it is and how to use it, why understanding people generates the most alpha, and so much more. Please enjoy my conversation with Jiran. Jiran, thank you so much for joining me today. Super excited to chat with you. And to get us started, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background. Uh, hey, so background-wise, um, I've been in tech for 10 years, 12 years, uh, mainly SaaS businesses, um, had a software agency for a little while, and then built a couple small SaaS startups, the last one being like cybersecurity and stuff, uh, which kind of got me introduced to crypto at a pretty pretty early time, like 2013, I believe, uh, or 2014. I remember when Bitcoin had first hit $1,000 and people were freaking out, and I think I had bought just a couple and just were was slightly intrigued but then uh forgot about it and then i've I've just recently like re-entered the crypto space oh yeah so take me back to that period when you just discovered bitcoin like what was it about bitcoin where you're like okay like this is pretty interesting i want to i want to buy some because uh, for me it was all about the price action i didn't know anything about blockchain or the technology or anything i was just like oh it's going up like i want to buy uh but for you like what was the thing that compelled you to like dive in dive in well so i was entering yeah, I was entering college 2008, 2009. So I was already like joining college at like a terrible financial time. Uh, and philosophically, I was pretty frustrated with like, I mean, I, I've grown up uh, in a like more basically poverty, right? Like my, my mom moved to the States uh, when I was four years old. She like ran away from her country. So she came here as a refugee. So we, we grew up pretty poor. And then I think like Bitcoin, and I, I felt myself really frustrated in 2008 because it was just like this constant thing where it was just like, um, like it, it felt kind of like the haves and the haves nots in a way of like, no matter what you tried to do, it was near impossible to get to like, you just have control of your own money and, and like control of your own destiny. And I remember like seeing things about Bitcoin and at the time it was just a philosophical thing. And I just bought a few because I, I liked it. I, I really believed um it's basically like my money is my money. And I, I also believed in like the deflationary mechanics. And I believed in like a limited supply that you couldn't just keep printing and, and causing a lot of the damage. And I, and the other thing I really liked was kind of the transparency of the blockchain, which kind of leads into like what I do now is a lot about that transparency on the blockchain. Okay. So 2013, 2014, you know, kind of dipped your toes in, got exposed, were interested and then beyond that, you're like, okay, well, you know, this is interesting, but I'm, I'm going to move on to other things now. At what stage or what year were you, did you start to get interested again? And then, you know, like that died deeper. Um, actually, I think it was slightly 2020. So I bought more in 2020. Everything had crashed and uh, ETH was like $100 and Bitcoin was like 5000 at the time. And I had just sold a uh, property and things were just kind of like, 
uncertain. And in the back of my mind, so I've been in SaaS for so long, and I was seeing this like this surge of like centralization and these SaaS companies that used to be these renegade startups now being the big corporations and stuff. And my personal thesis was like, all right, I think people are going to want decentralization. I think like a, a lot of people are really sick of like giant centralized everything. And at this time, there's like the anti-social media documentaries and like all of this stuff. So I kind of got more into it around 2020. I did a bit of DeFi summer, uh, not too much. And then I was kind of eyeing the NFT stuff. And then I think it was January 2021 when the ape sold. Um, it was a G Money's that sold for like 110 or he bought for 110 or it, it was around that time where it was just like, I was like, oh, this is this is getting interesting. Um, and like another thing in my life is like I've collected art for a long time and I've, I've really been into art. So seeing NFTs was kind of this interesting entry for me over DeFi coins where it was like art trading technology. Like it was all the things that I was interested in combined into one. So that kind of captured my attention uh, of 2021. Okay, cool. So so I think that, yeah, G-Money, his post was about like um, why I spent, you know, at the time it was like a crazy amount of money uh, comparatively, which is wild to think. But he was like, why did I, why I spent, you know, X amount of money, I think it was like a hundred plus thousand dollars on this CryptoPunk. And I think that was, I want to say it was February of 2021 when he posted that. And so you saw that. So were you already like in crypto Twitter? Like how, how do you even know who that was? Or or did you not know? And you're like, oh, I didn't, this is I didn't really know who he was. I think I just saw that thread. Um, I was around, but I, I wasn't deep in it. You know, like I was still uncertain, especially like DeFi summer. I know a lot of people made like made off really well there. But like, I remember I skipped the ICO phase where I was just like, this is, this is nonsense. You guys are just slapping blockchain on everything. Uh, DeFi actually kind of felt like that too. A little bit of DeFi summer was just like, I don't understand. Like it didn't fully click for me. Um, and honestly, it's still, a lot of these altcoins still don't really click for me. Um, and, and then when I saw the NFT thing, I just understood. Cause like, like I've, I've collected traditional art. I used to be a car collector. Like I, I, I've been in these spaces where it's like these really niche things around, um, like status and symbol and like human behavior. And NFTs just made so much sense as a way of like status signaling to me. Um, and it just made sense to me that like people don't understand why there's certain cars that go for $2 million, but you only need 10 people in that community that are willing to pay that for, for that like little industry to exist, right? For like a super high end car or something. Um, so then when I saw NFTs, that, that was the first time I, I, it made sense to me, like, so, like the crypto tech doing something more interesting. Right. Whereas a lot of DeFi was just like just staking and like just random random promises that didn't really make sense beyond like Uniswap being like a decentralized exchange or something. Uh, most of the other stuff wasn't all that interesting to me. Whereas NFTs were just like far more. Um, yeah, I don't know. They were they they just they they have more like they fit the human behavior better. The, yeah, like, I, I don't know. I, it's, it's hard no, to explain. <laughs> no, building off that, like I, I love to say that uh, NFTs have like the quote unquote like human factor, where you know crypto is a game of all economics, and like all the incentives are are economic, and you're trying to make money. That's like the sole objective. NFTs, you, you know, these assets are social in nature. These assets, you know, you're you have like a sense of belonging. These assets are like you can display your status. They have all these different uh, kind of factors to them that really drive a lot of the behaviors in the space that make them so interesting. And, and on top of that, of course, you have like the monetary aspect, which makes everything, you know, brings everything up to, you know, level 100, which makes it super cool. But 
but yeah, no, I, I totally understand what you mean by that kind of human aspect to them. So, all right. right. So, so well, how would you, okay. So, so you, you discovered that and then you're like, okay, this is now super interesting. I've already been doing some of the stuff in the, in the, in the physical world it makes total sense to be in, in now in the digital format. And at what stage were you like, all right, I'm gonna, you know, spend a lot of my time just diving into this world. Like how, how did that decision process go? Um, you know, like, I'm not gonna lie, I am pretty driven by monetary things. And I, I saw the gains where people were making. And I kind of just said to myself, this is probably something I can do, because I was I've always been very good at flipping like physical things. Um, so I was like, well, this is more interesting to me. And SAS, like really burned me out. I didn't I like the last thing I wanted to do was build another SaaS product. Um, Whereas like crypto was just like this wild, wild west still, even in 2021 to me was like, just like, just this really interesting, anything goes, there was no rules. Like everyone got to just be, find their own edge in things. Um, so I just started diving in and I remember at first I was buying artists that I had known from the real world. I was buying things that like I quote unquote, just liked for the art and I kept getting wrecked. And I think that's kind of like where I was just like, okay, so like, what is the game? You know, there's always a game, there's always rules, learn the rules, and then you can play the game. Um, so that's kind of like what started my journey into just watching like on-chain transactions is, um, I, I one, I got tired of like getting dumped on by other people. Two, I, I just like, I wanted to understand like the flow, right? Like. What, what was it about certain projects? Which wallets were like interacting with these projects and like what, how did the, um, like the dynamic or the flow of the project go uh, in order to like kind of play the game? Yeah, and, and when I was thinking about like, okay, well, what, is, what does Jiran do? It's like, like I, I have written here, it's like investor, trader, detective. Like, it, you know, I, it's like, it's a multitude of things. So how would you define, you know, what you do today? Um, that's a good question. I would say mostly trader investor. Uh, like I use all a lot of on-chain analysis. I'm, I'm coding again. I do like arbitrage stuff, um, all kinds of other things, but most of it is just mainly trader investor, just crypto wise. Right. And, and then you asked, you asked yourself like, okay, what, what is the game here? Because, you know, I, I agree with you. Logic would, would tell you probably that, okay, well, this artist is really important and famous in the, in the regular world. Therefore, in, in crypto world, they're probably going to be even more famous and, and you know important. But in, in reality, it turns out like a lot of people they like metaverse native stuff. They don't necessarily like the, the traditional IP entering the in, in, in this space necessarily. So so like when you were diving deep and you're like, okay, what is the game? What was your conclusion about like how like what is the game and how is that played? To me, it's like tribalism. It's um it's human behavior like in in these like section of tribes and whatnot. And I think like one of the coolest things about watching the blockchain is like you kind of see this activity. Um, like to me, it's like history is being recorded. I call it like blockchain archaeology. Uh, whereas before in the past, like I've, I, I used to be really into like historical uh, stuff like Roman Empire, Greek Empire and stuff. But you always, like as you grow older, you kind of realize, oh, well, those historians probably just like put their own spin or their subjective biases on top. But something with the blockchain that's interesting to me is it is completely objective. It is just recording transactions and it is up to people like archaeologists and stuff to basically dig up these, these transactions and understand the flow of, of human culture and tribal and tribes and so on and so forth. Like I guarantee 50 years from now, people are going to be looking at transactions from 2021 and 
and coming across these like fascinating artifacts and NFTs that are like long forgotten and so on and so forth. But you can kind of see how these group of people like moved a project or, or like how certain people just showed up and bought like 700 of something and, and like moved a project around. Um, and I think like the more I understood that and the more I understood human culture, I think that's kind of what tapped my ability to get pretty good at this game was I've always been pretty good at like reading people. So I started understanding where the next project would be and where, how those hype cycles would work. Um, on top of like using a lot of chain analysis to understand a flow of how a, a project is traded, right? Like understanding nonsense would quote unquote call it smart money, but like understanding which wallets that are like very good at this stuff, where they're coming in. If there's a certain wallet that has like, let's say 500 of a project and it's also just like kind of like a crazy character on Twitter. Okay, well then we need to be aware that like they can like switch their bias immediately and then dump their entire floor and have so much eat they don't care. And that's going to affect my, like my trades, right? So it's, it's kind of like understand, like, yeah, I don't know. It's like an arena is kind of how I see it. That's super interesting. It's like uh, part psychology or like sociology, I guess, and then mm-hmm. part like on chain. So it's like, hey, I roughly know how this person acts on Twitter. Tells me a little bit about the personality and how they might act in like in, in a trading slash investing situation. But then when I can right. know, pair pair that with their Ethereum wallet, then I can tell. Okay, well, it turns out yes, they are kind of erratic or or vice versa, or it's you know they're very stable and they uh, you know really are, have high conviction and whatnot. That's super super interesting. And when you're talking about tribalism, like how does tribalism come into play in NFTs? I know like, oh, I'm a, I have a board ape, I'm part of the board ape crew, or like I have a CryptoPunk, I'm on, I support them or whatever. Like, but from a, from like a monetary standpoint, like how does tribalism like drive value to stuff or drive value away? Mm, well, I mean, I can let me talk through this. So like, the, the the thesis I came up with and like why I started trading like really heavy last summer and into this year now, like we, I'm trading like very, very hard was COVID had happened and everyone was quarantined. So like, I think a lot of people had felt this like sense of isolation that became like a reality. And we've been isolated for a very long time is my argument. Like I'm, I've been in tech, I've seen this happen. I've seen how we've programmed this via social media is like, we think we're a part of these like communities and stuff, but like, it's all just digital. Like we've, we're very, we don't feel like uh, we don't have a sense of belonging, right? So to me, NFTs and even like things earlier than NFTs, I would call like Dogecoin a, a way of a, a sort of NFT in my mind, because it has this image in your head and we're very visual creatures, right? Like you think about cavemen, we like um, painted things with our fingers to communicate at first and, and like visual, visual language is definitely like an older language of ours. Uh, so you take that and then you take this NFT stuff. It's very much just building like a communities, right? Like, and, and then this is where this quote unquote illogical stuff happens where someone will hold an ape from 0.0, whatever it was to mint, like 0.80, 0.08 ETH to mint all the way to 150 ETH is like, they really feel like they're a part of a community, right? Or punks or certain art blocks or certain things is like, you kind of find your group of people and it gets really hard to sell this stuff. And like suddenly monetary doesn't make as much sense. Um, So I think that actually affects a lot of how I trade now with NFTs is I, I do, as cliche as it sounds, I do look at like one, if their roadmap is built around hype uh, which could be easy, good short-term trades. Like, are they 
do they have certain influencers that are a part of their community? Do they have certain hype men? Do they have uh, something like a TV show or something that could potentially push this project? Or it's the other way. It's like, do they just have like a really feverish community of, of like uh, collectors and holders and traders that could affect uh, how something is traded, right? Like Azuki was a very clear example of this to me early on. And I like, if you followed my Twitter, you would have seen how much I was pounding the table on Azuki January, February. And people were like, well, I don't get it. And it was like beyond the art, which I thought was probably some of the best art is like, I, I saw that community thing being rebuilt, right? Like, we, and you're going to keep seeing this time and time again is like, I knew when the punk's time was over and it was last year, November, I was telling my punk, like rare punk friends is like, it's time to shift out of this. What's going to happen is the new guards going to come in, the new, new collectors, new kids are going to come in and they don't want the old stuff because it's, they're too priced out of it. Right. Fidenza's at hundred ETH floor and punks at 80 ETH is like, those, these kids don't want that. They want their own thing that they, they can like rally behind. And we've seen this over and over again this year. And people are still like, I don't get it. It's like, well, that's just how a tribe, like these are how these tribes are built. That's super cool. So, okay. So you're looking at like both social factors or indicators and on top of that on-chain analytics. Is that, is that fair to mm-hmm. say? Like those are the two most important things? Yeah, it's, it's the combo. And I would, I would say even on-chain analytics is social behavior. Like I can tell you if someone's new to crypto, just, just based on their wallet interactions. Totally. totally. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. So, okay, so when, when you're deciding to, to make an investment, like, um, I mean, you, you went through a few things, but are you looking at basically this, you know, Twitter, essentially, like the social metrics and, and looking at the activity there and who's supporting it and whatnot? And then are you looking at the on-chain activity? Let, let, let's pretend like this, this is a live project, you know, uh, post-launch. So are you looking at the on-chain analytics to see, like, who is actually acquiring this? Or, or, or how are you... What goes into your decision-making process when looking to make an investment into direct NFTs post-launch? Honestly, sometimes it's just intuition. I won't lie, right? There's certain things that just like click for me pretty quickly. Um, on-chain-wise, let's see. I'm I'm can't I don't want to name the projects, but like so one of the projects I was recently doing, I did some on-chain analysis, uh, and I had bought a bunch without looking first, and I regretted that decision immediately. Is one of the most chaotic characters I think on Twitter owned 500 of these things, right? And I was just like, all it's going to take is one, like one, like little flip for him to just dump everything significantly below floor just to get out of this position. Um, and quite clearly, that actually happened. So, and then another project that kind of helped me have a longer term thesis was I found these top holders of a project, about like five or six of them. And they had all like a few months ahead of time had purchased uh, another NFT, like all of these wallets had, which ended up being the whitelist for this newer project, right? So it was clear that they had some sort of edge or some insider information that other people did not because it was six wallets all doing the same thing all at the same time, all like purchasing a certain NFT to get them to whitelist for this new one. And then they held both the older NFT and this new one in like mass amounts, like 50 to 60. And all six wallets had this going on and they were still buying. And despite the floor like uh, dipping down, they, they just like held through it. So then I decided to hold through it as well. Cause it was like, well, clearly I'm going to watch these wallets, but it clearly is telling me that like they have information other people do not uh, based on, based on how their activity worked. So things like that, there's also just like, I think watching holder lists on Etherscan is like really nice. Um, once you're able to like start labeling wallets, 
whether it's like actually knowing who they are on Twitter or just like, I kind of just make up names for them too. It's just like, I see the wallet enough times that like they make it into my memory and I just give them some random label and then I just kind of track what, what it is they're up to. Cause you can kind of see the flow of how some of these wallets interact. All right. So, so when you're diving into the on-chain data, what tools are you looking at uh, or, or utilizing in order to, to kind of view all this and make sense of it? And then also, is this, are you only focused on Ethereum? Or are you also looking on chain like Solana and stuff? Um, mostly Ethereum because Solana's reader thing is horrible. Uh, mainly Etherscan. I don't really use any other tools. Uh, I've been like wanting to play more with Parsec because I like that Parsec's like, they have cool uh, data analysis, but like if it's just chain analysis, it's just purely Etherscan. Uh, probably one of my favorite teams in crypto actually. I, I think they like they have built such a killer product, um, and then side like other chain wise. I mean like L twos and stuff like Arbitrum stuff, but honestly, it's mostly just Ethereum that that I do a lot of this in, because it's just uh, there's more built on the Ethereum side, and then I I have some internal tools of my own uh, to like track wallets, to dive a little bit deeper on certain things, uh, to pull certain data like. Uh, the other side mint had happened and I had pulled that like 55 codas uh, sold under 10 ETH uh, within the 15 minutes of reveal. Like basically people had just like left them listed or they weren't paying attention. Uh, and that you had like this 15 minute window to basically do like a, a 5X flip within 15 minutes of just sniping codas that were le left on the floor and stuff like that. Wow, very cool. Okay, so like are you using like when you're labeling these wallets, you're using like Google Docs and like, I, I don't know, because I feel like this guy would be so much stuff to to memorize and it's it's pretty hard to to just have that all in your brain. So Etherscan has their own labels and private notes, um, which is phenomenal. Most people don't know that. Uh, you could just build a free account right now. And I think slowly they're going to do a paid account. Uh, but they, they, do, they do about, I think, 500 to 1,000 that you can label. And then I also use something called Roam Research uh, note, Notebook. And I just have a giant, giant notebook at this point filled with like wallets that are connected to and like Rome research lends itself really well to this kind of um, research in that, like, it's all hyperlinks. So I have I just have a giant notebook filled with like one address leading to the other address that is associated to certain addresses that I think is maybe 3AC or, or some other big fund or or just like a really good flipper. And I've noticed seen them consistently like have high returns and so on and so forth yeah so so when you're labeling the wallets like I, I guess for the larger funds it's it's easier to 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 you know name those but at the same time how, how are you certain or, or or do you think that this might be 3ac or this might be a16z or whatever you're not positive but you're like oh this is i'm fairly confident or is there like some some resource that shows oh no this is actually 3ac this is actually a16 so you'll, you'll know it's a fund if they interact with certain exchanges like circle, uh, circle like direct circle is institutional. Um, I can't remember the other ones right now. Sorry. Wow. I just spaced that. There's like three other exchanges that are just purely institutional uh, exchanges like retail can't use them. They're high dollars or you can see or you or I have all of the Genesis OTC trading desk wallets tagged. Um, so whenever I see that, I know it's going to be some sort of fun because they're the only people who are going to be contacting Genesis OTC for, say, like two, three, three million dollars worth of ETH immediately 
to fund it into a wallet or something. Um, so that's one way of seeing. And then like 3AC, Alameda, a few of those, like they've been tagged long, long t time ago. And what you do is you find the central um, hub. So 3AC has like a specific hub that funds all of their other wallets. So as long as it always traces back there, you can usually find that connection. And then as you label things on Etherscan, the web starts growing and you start seeing who's funding who and when and where and how much ETH. So, and sometimes you don't know. That's fine too. I, I think a lot of people get really obsessed about who the wallet is and I don't care anymore. I used to. Um, and I used to get like pretty big on that stuff. But like, I just stopped caring. I would I just label them as either fund or like retail or like just a singular person. And I more so care what they're doing, how they're interacting, um, like how they're trading and where they're trading, what are they doing? That matters more to me than who it is specifically. Yeah. And then also you mentioned before that there is a, like a group of wallets that you're watching that would like basically buy up assets that knew that, you know, those insiders knew that, okay, there's, there's gonna be a whitelist and you have to have these NFTs in order to whitelist. How, mm -hmm. how is that like a, how can you scale that out in the sense of like, I guess you, you can get lucky finding that once, but in order to find that on a repeated time frame, because maybe it's just six wallets that are really, really bullish, or you think that, no, that's just too unusual where six different wallets are all buying one thing at once. It's usually like, okay, these people, or maybe one entity definitely knows some information that other people don't know. Like, how do you determine if it's just random people, you know, doing something together, or if it's like, oh no, they know something's com coming down like very soon. Well, in this case, they were isolated wallets. So all they held was that NFT that would have gotten you the whitelist. And they consolidated from a bunch of other wallets into these singular wallets. And then from there, they bought like the other, the other NFT that that whitelist provided. So it was clear that that was like those wallets were made for that specific project. And they consolidated everything into there. And there's nothing else but those two projects in there. Um, you can't always tell. There's a lot of false positives, which is, again, why... I think like you have to be careful. Like you can't just do purely data analysis in my, is what, one of my arguments. And two, it's like sometimes it's just coincidental or um, just certain things, right? Like, I don't know, like I, friends send friends 10 ETH all the time. You know what I mean? So it's like suddenly you're connecting two wallets that aren't actually connected. They just like one time sent this wallet 10 ETH. So you need like a longer history to like really have like a pretty decent thesis on it. Um, but for me, it's more just understanding flow. So like, again, like sometimes I don't even care about the specific wallet. It's just like, I'm just watching, like to me, one of the coolest things about crypto is there's so much information, right? So it's like, you could just watch the flow of stuff, especially once you start building your own tools and, and so forth is you can watch at the speed people are buying how much they're buying, what gas are they setting? What, like if they're doing high gas, it's clearly in demand and they really want this project. Um, to what, like there's all kinds of these like little intricate details that you can look into, right? Um, that to me is like far more interesting and like how much percentage holds at least 10 of the project or something. That's super cool. Okay, so yeah, the, the flows, like if we had to double click on that, then it's like, I, I am like, what are some insights that you, that you've gleaned from, from watching the flows? Are people, are they going from project to project are suddenly people loading up on, you know, or transferring from Coinbase to their MetaMask and then you're seeing a big purchase of, you know, or getting ready for some drop or like in terms of the right. flows, like what's the most insightful, um, kind of 
you know, things that you've gathered from, from just watching where, where the money's going to. Velocity is a big one. Um, you, we could use the ENS. I'm sure you've seen how ENS is like picking up like crazy right now. Um, I had a quite a bit of the three number ENSs. That wasn't any on-chain thing. That was just pure guessing last year and I got lucky. Um, but the, but then I, but then like to price them, right? Like where did I want to sell out at? Well, I just started, I call it velocity. It's just like, how fast are people scooping this up? Right? Like if you go look at the OpenSea activity feed or even Etherscan, it's like, if you're seeing a purchase every 10 seconds, I wouldn't be selling into that. That means that like the momentum is still there. Right? And as you start seeing the gap slow down, then there's like this, there's a moment of time where you can like sell into it and still like follow that momentum, but you didn't sell so early on that like you missed out on like 510 ETH because you just sold way too early because everyone else was getting super excited. Um, so a velocity is like a really big one, especially after drop, after sellout, what happens? How fast are people buying the floor? How, like, are they just gobbling the floor up? Uh, another great data point is post uh, first parabola. So the, most projects will do this like parabolic thing right away. Like Azuki's went from like, I don't know, uh, from one ETH to eight to then 16 to 20. And then suddenly they did back down to 12. Then they went back down under eight, but then they shot back up to 16, right? And then they've done this multiple times now. It's like they've hit 24, they went up to 36, they shot back down. Now they're back at 32. That's like a really good sign in, in to me for like the the strength and the price the price action right like it's just a stronger price action watching that happen um, because it's like you know, like instead of looking at floor price you're understanding how volume the like understanding the volume metrics you're understanding that like the floors are so popular that they just get gobbled up every time they get listed so that's one thing um, another thing is like watching. Like everyone was really bearish November, December, and I started getting bullish December because I had set up a alert system to show me any sales above 60 ETH on OpenSea, and that's when the Board Ape started selling a ton at 60 ETH in December. And again, it, like two months ago, it was the same thing. And even recently with the other side, the same thing. And like I was kind of laughing. It was just like people on Twitter, just like, especially recently, like, oh, like this is the peak NFTs. It's all going to zero. Other sides took out all this ETH, blah, 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 blah. When in reality, go look and a ton of floors are up. Well, what happened? Well, a bunch of people got a bunch of extra liquidity, right? Like December, a bunch of people got 60 to 70 ETH from their board apes. What did they throw it into? The first cool next project, Azuki. And like house, like house capsules kind of picked up there and some other stuff. And then, um, and then Azuki became really, really popular, right? So then a bunch of people from Azuki got liquidity. So what did they do? They're gonna go buy another project, right? Like that's like following these like big projects suddenly taking off and hitting high floors. If you go follow those wallets, you'll go see them go buy other projects, right? Um, so I think that's like usually a pretty good indicator. And I call the fear greed index is like, if people, let's say punks. So punks was a good example of like why it became bearish is a bunch of people sold, but then they kept the ETH, right? So there's fear right there. It's like, instead of putting it back in the ecosystem, a lot of them took the ETH, put it in their exchange, and then just parked the, parked the ETH. Whereas like the apes in December, November, December sold, they were immediately buying things. So then that started becoming like a greed index of like people are, people are hungry again to trade. So then we'd like just go through these natural swings 
as, as that happens. Or like other side was a lot of people, especially these KYC wallets were probably newer people to the system. And some of them minted off these codas and stuff, selling it for 30, 40, 50 ETH. They want either attention, so they're going to go buy shit and tweet about it on Twitter so that they get the engagement. Or they're just like, they really want to get into other projects that they've been priced out of for a long time. So they start buying Fidenzas and Azukis and Doodles and stuff based on their new liquidity. Okay, so how are you identifying profitable uh, you know, traders, investors in the space? Are you using like, Nansen, or is it just again EtherScan? Like, how are you finding people that are, that are making okay? Just EtherScan. So, yeah, so yeah. Are, are and, you, and OpenSea. Yeah. Are you are you connecting that to their to their Twitter handle? So, if, if their Twitter handle is like a dot ETH, you're like, okay, cool. I'm gonna go look up their activity, or like, how are you finding them? Oh, I, I find them on EtherScan, OpenSea, and then go backwards and find them on Twitter. You'd be surprised. The best traders are probably under two, three thousand followers, almost consistently. Um. Like the absolute top tier traders are very quiet traders who aren't really tweeting much. But if you follow them on EtherScan and OpenSea, you'll see that like they were flipping, like they went into toads heavy and they sold 40 toads at 14 ETH. Or they went into loot super heavy and then sold the AGLD and loot at like near peak. Um, and they're like just very good at flipping. Like some of them are just like really good at finding really good projects. Um, one of them's called NFT Tier. Uh, he started with one ETH last year. He's like a 22-year-old kid, and he's one of the top holders of Moonbirds right now. Like, he grinded his way from like a one ETH to well over 500 ETH, probably more. Um, but like, no one's ever heard of this kid. So it's just like, there's a lot of people like that uh, that you'll find on EtherScan. Some are just completely anonymous too. They're not even on Twitter. But like, you could just see that they're very early to certain projects. They buy a ton. They like clearly have some sort of bullish thesis. They hold through certain things, but they're also smart sellers and they know when to sell and, and when the, the parabolics have hit. So, so yeah, speaking of, speaking of people like not wanting to uh, kind of build their social following, what, what do you think is, um, I don't know, what, what, what do you think about the dynamic of the influencers in the space today? I feel like, you know, personally, there's some influencers that are great and you know, quote unquote influencers. Some of them are great. They provide real value and are, you know, kind of real long-term bullish on the space or just, you know, something more positive. Then there's other other mm -hmm. people in this space that are really using their large Twitter following to like just basically dump dump on retail essentially. So what, what are your thoughts yeah. generally about influencers in the NFT space? Oh, that's a, that's a loaded question. Um, I think projects naturally need hype people. Like I will give it to, there's certain influencers um, we don't have to use, say, use names, but like there's certain influencers that people don't like, even I kind of don't like, but it's just like, they're really good at hyping projects. And that, that, that aspect again, is part of this human nature thing is, is you need it. I've been in, I've been in spaces with an astounding project. That's like, either just like technically really cool, or they came up with an interesting idea or something, but the space is so boring. It's just like, they're just chatting and talking and people are like not really that interested. It's like you had like some college lecture somewhere and no one is buying. Whereas you kind of need these hype people who are just like really hyping people up into these projects. I don't know how ethical that is, but like it's part of the game. I mean, that's, that's been around forever, right? Like you don't buy a Lamborghini just cause it's a cool car. It's a status thing. It's, it's a, other people are excited about the car. So then you want to have it. So and so forth, right? So like same thing with NFTs is like the hype nature is very much a part of this game. 
And I think those kind of influencers are, I'm fine with, you know, like they're, some of them are just like not that intelligent and they yell like strange things, but it helps the space in a way, or, or at least like help certain projects, like get the attention they need. Um, the ones I don't like, there's like a couple specifics on my mind, but like just, and you follow my Twitter, you'll know who I'm talking about, but like, it's just like, they're just ultra grifters. Like they showed up super late to the, to the place. They had some money, they bought some rare punk, and suddenly they're bringing celebrities on board. They're bringing these like projects that aren't minting out. They're using ads. They're doing all these like things that are just not a part of this ecosystem. And it's very clear, like, I don't know if you've ever read the article, Geeks, Mops, and Sociopaths. It's like, it's clearly like at this stage of sociopaths where it's, they're just here for the money and they don't care about anything else. Um, and those ones I don't like because they're very clearly just dumping on everyone and they could care less about the space or anything about it. They're just here to just like essentially quote unquote grift and, and, and a lot of them don't even disclose that they're make investors, advisors or anything of these projects. They just like have these huge followings because they did a couple big purchases and people think they're like heroes when they're really not. Um, yeah, that's kind of my opinion of that. Yeah. Okay. So how are you, I feel like a lot, a lot of what we're coming to here is like you're, you're looking at human behavior and you're combining that with, you know, actual real life data, which is really incredible. But so like, why is it so important to understand the, the human behavior aspect? Couldn't you, in theory, just like, just look at on chain and just kind of have a clear view of what's going on from that? I don't think so. I mean, like I've talked to a lot of quant funds and I, I think them trying to enter, like, especially NFTs are going to get wrecked really hard. Um, I think it's really easy to be blind by data and, and it's the same thing as like TradFi is like the markets are not efficient as much as people want them to be. So the data could show you things, but that's not going to help you understand the irrationality of people, right? Like the, if you were just looking at pure data and you saw board apes at hundred ETH, there's no way you would have imagined them hitting 150 ETH floor, right? Like just from a data logical standpoint, you would have said that most people would have sold there totally. because most of them came from nothing. And they didn't, and they still won't, right? And they got the ApeCoin, and they got the other side land, and they got the Codas, and they got this, and they got that. And it's like, there's no rationality behind it. There's no way you could have predicted that based on data, right? There's no way you could have predicted last year on pure data that the board apes were going to flip the punks when they're on 20th floor. There's no way, right? Like, what data would have told you that that would have flipped the punks? But if you were paying attention, you would have seen how strong their community was and how, like, just... Whether they were insufferable or not, some people think like they don't like the community. It's like, yeah, but they had a community and a really strong community and they kept pushing forward. Whereas like the punks were kind of fighting amongst themselves and they were having a hard time with Larva Labs and, and all this stuff, right? So it's like if you had just like watched the overarching human narrative play out and one of one of the best traders in the space is GCR and he gets this better than anyone else. His narrative is the biggest part of any of these games, whether it's DeFi or NFTs. And if you like, you know, like you could you could even switch this to DeFi is like you saw where the own thing finally ended. And it was all just these narrative plays, right? So if you can watch and understand narrative plays and watch EtherScan, you kind of get to this weird point sometimes where it's like, I can kind of predict when we're gonna hit a bear and when we're gonna hit a bull just based on some like weird intuition that has developed by looking at this stuff all day, every day. Yeah. So, so why are more people not looking at on-chain analytics or like talking about it or in your opinion, in, in your opinion, is that extremely common? Is everyone looking at on-chain uh, analytics, especially like funds? Um, 
I don't know. I <laughs> I wish I knew why they don't. Uh, I don't think most do. I don't even think funds do, to be honest. I mean, I've, I've had a lot of these discussions with funds, and I'm actually spinning up my own fund because of this. Was that like just like for some reason, I one like people have a hard time deciphering this data for some reason. Like if it gets past three wallets, it's hard for them to keep track of where what goes where. I mean, like I have notes everywhere, but um, I don't know. I like I I feel like my my thing. My personal opinion is that like people just kind of are complacent right now because money was so easy for the past two years in crypto. And those same people are the same ones that are now getting wrecked. It's like, it's not just being handed to them on a silver platter or they can't be friends, buddy buddies with certain influencers, buy a bunch early and then have the influencer pump their bags so then they can like sell and make a ton of money. It's like, you kind of have to really understand how things are moving now and like have to be like pretty deep in the data on top of the human behavior to have an edge um, along with other things such as like code and understanding uh, certain things like that. Do you, do you think the future of kind of investing in the NFT ecosystem for like, I guess, quote unquote professionals will just be mostly on-chain analytics and just really digging deep into that? Or do you think that you'll continue to have kind of it bifurcated to people that are investing based off fundamentals and research and then others that are investing based off, you know, the kind of the, the more data data focused approach? I think it's going to be, I think the best traders in the next five years are going to be what I'm talking about, where it's this combination of understanding psychology, narrative, and on-chain. And I think you're going to see a lot of TradFi funds trying to come into space, especially NFTs. I think we're going to see a lot of just traditional investors, even like DeFi investors come in. And I think we're going to see a lot of them get pretty wrecked because they're just going to have a hard time wrapping their head around the narrative plays. Like a recent example of the Miladies, you know, like you... They weren't even minted out yet, but like, I mean, a lot of us minted a ton of these and it's just like, well, how did you know? It's like, well, it's just like, they have this weird cult thing. They're kind of weird. They're kind of creepy, but like, there's this weird tribalism about them and then they took off, but no fund is buying those, right? Like no traditional fund at least. Um, so that I think, I think like the, the ones who are going to have the biggest edge over these next five years is, um, it's going to be understanding narrative with on-chain analysis, and it's going to be understanding that the market is going to be more inefficient, not efficient, because you can have a ton more retail wanting to play the NFT game, and they don't know up from down. So, yeah. So okay. So do you think okay? So broadly, you think there's going to be it's going to be even more uh, inefficient going forward. You, you don't think it's going to become more oh, efficient? But but no, so I mean, like, like how, how is that? If, if if there's more, you know, if the participants themselves are becoming know more advanced quote unquote then like how how would it become more inefficient from where we are today which is you know it seems pretty pretty inefficient right i i don't think i think i think it's the top 10 percent will become advanced and the rest won't and i think we're going to build technology that's going to abstract the stuff more and more away rather than like making people use it because it's just confusing and hard right like i think five years from now most people won't even know how to set gas or understand why to set certain gas the way they do and, and why like why that matters um it's a lot like a traditional internet right like we started layering on top like from tcp ip understanding packets and understanding like ip addresses and dns reverse records and stuff to now you just type it in the dot com or websites like websites for example this is people used to know how to do some small html or css to like work on their site but now it's like you pay 12 bucks a month you got a squarespace site looks phenomenal you move on with your life so 
more retail is going to enter and it's going to be more handholding. So you're either going to be like the top 10% that understands this stuff deeply. And you see this in TradFi too. It's like, why do they tell people don't be day traders? It's like, you don't have that edge. You don't have whether it's like a high frequency trading shop that's like right next to the NASDAQ or um, you, you just like, you don't have certain edges cases, right? So my opinion with crypto, especially, especially NFTs is like, you can have a ton of retail jumping in, but they're just going to be listening to an influencer on Twitter spaces and they're just going to be buying things on OpenSea at like certain things. And that's how it goes. Like Coda is such a good example of this is we've been in the space now for two years, I would say. And, and not 55, if not more, maybe at least 100 of these people left their stuff either listed or they they listed really low without understanding the dynamics of how anything happens. Or they didn't know how to check their metadata outside of OpenSea, like using the actual physical token URI link to check if they had a coda or not. And they had them all listed at these prices where the better and more advanced users were able to use it. But that's like a top 10% thing. And then even within that, go look at the gas prices. I mean, I'll just, I guess the little alpha drop here is like most didn't even set gas correctly. And if you were paying attention, you could have outgassed most of these people just on that alone, right? Because most people don't even understand how to set competitive gas or how to use a flashbot RPC if you're going to use competitive gas so you don't lose ETH. And as more people enter, it's just going to be a lot of this information is just going to get like covered in the muck of like just people getting excited about drops and, and not much else. I mean, that's my thesis. So, so what are some of the most interesting insights that you have gleaned from uh, looking at, you know, the, the, the on-chain data? Hmm, most interesting insights. What do you mean? Tell me more. What do you like? Like, like basically you're like, I, oh man, th three arrows <laughs> just, you know, acquired, you know, I don't know, these, these assets or this token, like, oh man, I'm going to go do that as well. Oh, Cause I think it's going to yeah, go up, yeah. you know, something like, something like that. Let's use let's use recent data. I mean, I did that a lot of last year, and it didn't really work out. <laughs> so, um, I mean, it worked out a couple times, but like it was pretty small. Okay, so one great play coin wise was Coinbase used zero X as your tech, right? So if you had looked on the on chain uh, transactions, you would have noticed it was zero X that they were using on top the layer the contract they were using. Uh, you could have bought a bunch of zero X coins and then waited for that announcement, and it went up like fifty percent that day um other interesting insights the coda thing was like a really great insight to me uh and i've done it before it's just like uh rarity trade sniping really early on using token uris and and like internal tools around that stuff um what else has been like something major i don't know nothing's like major is coming to mind right now that's that's been like very recent um I, I think like all of these insights just kind of wrap into one um, as as the day <laughs> as the things go on. Totally, totally. Yeah. Awesome. All right, all right. So I, I want to zoom out a little bit from on chain slightly and talk about more macro, I suppose. So, what are your thoughts on um, you know? There's many different NFT submarkets. First of all, which submarket has you has you most excited, and and why does that submarket have you most excited? Submarket meaning like art or gaming or you know uh, virtual land whatever oh i don't have any that are exciting right now to be honest i think it's just a pfp flipping musical chairs kind of game right now um if i was to say any that like interests me it's like uh terraforms is really cool it's like really pushing like on-chain stuff i think 
I think on-chain projects, I'm hoping get more innovative over the next five to 10 years. That's probably where I'm most excited to see things happen is like um, using using the tech in this new unique way that we've never been able to use before and using blockchain and all these things and smart contracts uh, doing like really creative stuff. Um, so like you know, terraforms or corruptions or like one of Dom's other projects, I like those from like a nerdy, just geeking out standpoint, not from a monetary thing necessarily, because they don't really do well monetarily, but like just tech and innovation wise, I think those projects like that are really cool. Like just on-chain stuff and generative stuff is like really interesting because it's like you couldn't do it before and now you can. So it's, we're only just getting started on the innovation of stuff like that. All right. So, so do you have any thoughts on, on Web3 gaming or like Web3 gaming economies? Hmm. I'm pretty bearish game web three gaming because to me Ooh. games are games. It does it doesn't really matter. Like most so of you, these you, games suck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so why why yeah. do you think most of them like aren't aren't that much fun? Well, like they're baking. They can only build basic games because of the way the tech is right now. Right. Like you can't do complex transactions when there's gas involved, where you can on like a like a like a PS4 or something. Right. Where there's no you're not getting charged for doing these transactions. So like you make these kind of like bareborn games and you want to like do this play to earn thing. And that's just not interesting to me. What is interesting to me in the gaming side of things is the assets being NFTs. Cause that's been a market forever, right? Like whether it's wow or counter-strike or something is like people have been buying and selling skins and armor and stuff like that for your game a lot. And that, like a market, like game marketplace is kind of what OpenSea started as because um, I think that's kind of they thought where things would lead. But like most games, like, have you ever tried playing Axie or, or any, like, you know, it's just like these, these games aren't that interesting to me. Like, I mean, I grew up playing games and I haven't found a single, I mean, the only game I play that's on chain is Peacefall. And that's like a Rochambeau. Even that's like very bare bone basic. Like you just, you pick uh, element, the other person, the other character picks an element and then there's like three on-chain battles, and then the fourth one, uh, you you could potentially like have your character die on-chain, and then they're like like dead in the metadata stuff. Like that's kind of cool. Um, but yeah, I'm not really I'm not really bullish games. <laughs> All right, so how do you think? You know, we we've seen some like NFT M and A like play out where we had like Yuga, they acquired Punks and Mebits, and I'm pretty sure there was a group that acquired Pudgy Penguins and stuff. How do you see that yeah. playing out, like going forward? Do you think that's 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 going to be way more common? And also, like, what is the actual incentive to acquire a, especially like a PFP, because a PFP is not like necessarily part of a game. So, like, how are you going to create value from that? So, I'd love to know general thoughts on like NFT M and A. Um, I think you're going to see more of it. I think like a lot, of, some of these teams are very overwhelmed, um, resource wise, or like it's like their first time running a business, right? And I think a lot, like the way I view PFPs or any of this NFT stuff that's like these higher collections, is it's kind of like angel investing. You're like kind of investing in the team if you're doing like a longer term play, right? So um, I think you're going to just see a lot more mergers and acquisitions of like, uh, just, I don't know, certain projects just make sense working together or, or it's a lot of work keeping up with a lot of these NFT projects. So I can see a lot of burnout with certain teams where they just, they don't want to deal with it anymore. Like getting yelled at about where the floor is all the time. So 
yeah, I, I mean, I think we're going to see a lot more of it. I could see the one, the major one I could see getting acquired next or merged is Cool Cats. Uh, I feel like they're kind of at a place where they need more resources and, and they need like a bigger team to kind of like help move them along, in my opinion. So what is the incentive for the purchaser to acquire this IP? Because couldn't, you know, is it just like the community or just like the, the, yeah. the kind of like a, it's almost like a luxury good. It's like, well... I want to buy this Louis Vuitton or I can make my own Louis Vuitton. Like, you, like you, you know, the chances of me making the next Louis Vuitton are very slim. So I'm not sure to just buy it just because it's already kind of solidified as that status. Well, I mean, like, look at, I mean, you bring up Louis Vuitton, look at LVMH, right? They own how many brands under their umbrella now? It's it's gigantic. I think I think it makes a lot of sense to buy some of these communities and just provide them with resources and not really change much else. Right. It's not like you're buying cool cats and then going to turn them into cool dogs. You're probably just going to let the project be as it is like LVMH. Uh, man, I can't remember all the brands they own, but like a lot of the brands they own, they don't really, I don't think they're all that hands-on with a lot of these brands. They just like kind of absorb them into their umbrella and are able to provide resources and, and more help where it's needed. Um, and I think like Yuga is very much making that LVMH play. Like, you look at the market cap of like financial products and then you look at the market cap of cultural products, LVMH's market cap blows everyone's out of the water. So I think it's pretty natural to assume that there's going to be a few other style of these brands, like the Proof ecosystem is another one, Artifact ecosystem is another one, that they're going to just absorb a bunch of brands that fit their fit their mold, right? Like I could see Artifact starting to absorb more 3D projects to build their ecosystem out and, and hire talent and bring on talent that way. I can see um, even Azuki like maybe doing more of an Asia play and bringing on other Asia, Asia NFT communities that are having a hard time, like having reach or having resources. Um, same thing with proof is like, maybe it's like a higher end Yuga uh, and they absorb certain things. Like I could see proof even make maybe taking a piece of art blocks or, or like taking the curated version of art blocks and doing something with it because they have a stronger community that they like that the smaller community can kind of like tie into if that makes sense so what, what are your thoughts on the current market environment now in nfts because i feel like yeah you know, like a lot of people were bearish and then now other side and people are now pumped up again and you know you saw the, fl- the floors kind of going down as the other side drop was was coming you know, nearer. And now it's almost like business as usual. But what, what are your what yep. are your thoughts on the current market environment today? And what's popular? What's not popular? And then going forward into this year? How are you feeling? I think I think it's going to be I think the next two weeks are probably gonna be a little bullish. I think people are just trying to like either get settled into certain bags or sell out of certain bags. Uh, I'm bearish for the summer. I think it's gonna be a really choppy summer. Um, human narrative at play here is like, I mean, I've been traveling recently quite a bit more and airports are fully open. Restrictions are gone in a lot of places. The airports are packed. A lot of these weddings that got delayed from COVID are all happening this summer. People are wanting to go on vacation. Even like within crypto, people are probably sick of looking at a screen. I know I am. And are probably just trying to like get out and like go be humans again. So I think summer is going to be kind of choppy. And not that it's going to be like bearish or bullish, maybe. It's just like, I think it's going to flatline and we're going to see a couple pops here and there. But I think a lot of people are just going to start like not caring when a mint happens as much as we've used to, like where people just like, you know, just refreshed or checked the uh, the project every five minutes until it was finally uh, released. So 
yeah, I think summer's going to be kind of slow. And I think fall is when things will start picking up again near the end of the year. And the theory is ETH merge happens in August. So I think that's going to be a good narrative time to latch onto as well. Well, yeah, merge is definitely not going to happen in August. I've been yeah. hearing that for like years. So, so we'll see. <laughs> I'm just being optimistic. <laughs> yeah, right. Awesome. Awesome, man. All right. Well, this has been amazing, but time for the closing questions now. Sure. All right. First one. What is your single favorite NFT that you own? Oh, my God. My favorite? Single favorite. You can only choose one. Oof. Um, my cat here, Azuki. <laughs> Your, your your caddy, yeah, the cat ear Azuki. Uh, there's oh, one of the Azukis I have has the okay. little cat ears. That's probably one of my faves. Very cool. To the point that I couldn't sell it when the floor was like ripping. <laughs> and That's I'm usually awesome. a pretty savage seller, so. Awesome. All right, if you won the lottery and could not work in Web three, what would you be working on? And, and you know, lottery uh, meaning like you have unlimited resources. You have like a ton of money could you go, to go do whatever you want. I'd probably buy an F one team. Oh, very cool. Okay, so how how come? Are you just very interested in racing or, or what? Yeah, I mean, I've I've been I've like do automotive racing, not obviously in the F one level, but like I just think it'd be fun. Um, and I like the intellectual challenge. Like again, there's like a cool data thing there, and I like the intellectual challenge of like how do you make a car that has to compete with other cars within these like certain parameters, uh, and how compete and outperform everyone else. Very cool. All right, what is the most controversial thought relating to Web3? ZK Think sucks. Anything ZK is terrible. It's not going to work. It's too complicated. And removing transparency from the blockchain is completely against the ethos of crypto. Interesting. Okay, so I, I think, um, so, you know, I don't know enough about like the scalability, so, you know, the, the scalability improvements of, of ZK, but like in terms of the privacy, so. Right now, yes, all, all blockchain transactions are, are open and transparent, but you don't think that there's, um, we're going to need some privacy going forward if we really want broader adoption? Because like, you know, I don't know, I'm thinking about like, um, th there's certain use cases where I don't want everyone knowing about, uh, you know, let's say I purchased a condo and like the property title is like an NFT or whatever. I don't want everyone knowing that that's necessarily in the wallet of Andrew Steinwald. Like I'd prefer it was in like an, in a, some like anonymous wallet, right? So right. I, I, could, I could see privacy being a big use case. So, so I'd love to see like why you are not a huge fan of, of, of privacy. Well, what, why wouldn't, couldn't you just spin up a, an anonymous wallet where you fund it through an exchange so then the governments and exchanges and whatever know who you are, but everyday people don't know who you are, right? Yeah. So, so that was a bad example I gave. Let, let's, let's think of like um, – <laughs> let's think of like uh, – okay, so like um, – OnlyFans. Okay, so people in OnlyFans, maybe okay. they don't want people knowing that you know, yeah, you know, they have an account or whatever, and they're getting paid through that, or, or who knows what, right? Um, there's some sort of they don't want people knowing, and so wouldn't that make sense? That be pri you know, have have privacy there, where sure, it's like again, only certain why wouldn't you just have an anonymous wallet with an exchange yeah, funded? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just trying to think of like, like I, I think, think there are the certain cases. It's funny to me. It's just like it's just a wallet address. As long as you don't have an ENS attached to it, as long as it's not attached to any of your other docs wallets, and you're only funding through an exchange, then you are as private as you probably should be or need to be. Beyond that, like you're just trying to hide from the government and not pay your taxes, and that's a completely different conversation, I think. But like true, true. this whole thing of like hiding all of your transactions. It's just inviting TradFi to come in and do backdoor deals and do all of the shady things they've done before 
and many of the other things where like the reason I love this space and I love what I do is because the blockchain is as transparent as it's private and transparent at the same time. I truly believe that. Like you don't have to dox yourself. Don't get an ENS. Don't um, only use exchanges to fund stuff, right? Like you can keep yourself pretty private. Like I have maybe 10 other wallets no one's ever heard of or no one will ever know that they're my wallets, right? True. To have like interesting things in them. And people are, I've seen people tweet about my wallets and I've said nothing, right? And people have never figured out that it was me. So that's just my, that's my argument. And I, I just in general, like ZK, you talk to talk to any technically proficient person to ask someone to explain ZK like you're five and no one can, right? It's just such a complicated thing. The tech is complicated. It's just hard to build on when, when it's like that. And then when it's like the tech could be the coolest thing on the planet, but if it's hard to build on, then no one's going to build on it. And it's just going to be like video game console wars. It's like the one that's easiest, the most fun to build on is the one that's going to win, not, not the one that's superior in tech. Totally, totally. Awesome. All right, if you could snap your fingers and, and instantly change or improve one thing in the Web3 ecosystem, what would it be? Oh, that's a good question. Um, if there was a way to hold these grifters more accountable, I would say, just like people who are just like really just selling garbage and convincing a lot of people. I, and I think that would lead more to, I wish more people could just like understand on-chain stuff and read it better and... and um, yeah, just like decipher information for themselves and kind of think for themselves instead of having other people think for them. Totally. All right, last question. Where do you see where do you see NFTs in three years? Um, three years. I think we're gonna see close to. Oh man, I really don't know. Actually, I kind of feel like we're in the early internet stage, so I, I feel like three years time is like probably close to like the nineteen ninety nine of the internet is. We came up with a bunch of crazy ideas. A bunch of people made money. A bunch of people think they're making money. And then it's all going to like kind of crash. We're going to go through like a big cleanse. And then in 10 years time, we're going to see some really cool tech. Amazing. Awesome. Jiran, thank you so much for coming on. This was stellar. I really, really, really appreciate you taking the time to, to chat with me and tell me all about on-chain and, and your background and whatnot. If people want to find out more about yourself and what you're, what you're up to, where should they go? What should they do? Just uh, Twitter, J-I-R-A-N underscore Z. Amazing. Awesome. Thank you so much for, for coming on. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Hey, everyone. Stay tuned for more episodes of the Zima Red podcast and subscribe to the Zima Red newsletter for more info on all things NFTs. Thanks so much for listening.